On this episode of At Large with Alex Wong, I'm joined by Tracy Murray to reminisce about the expansion year Toronto Raptors, partying with John Sally at government, beating the 72-win Bulls, and looking ahead to Game 3 and 4 of the NBA Finals in Oakland. Tell me, you know, you were with the Houston Rockets, you won a championship. Um, what was the first time the Raptors organization reached out to you? Actually, they didn't reach out to me. Um, they were um, they were having their their uh, expansion draft. I was protected by Houston, so they weren't allowed to talk to me. So, you know, after after the expansion draft was done, negotiations between my agent and the Houston Rockets broke down at some point, and I was stuck with nowhere to go. And I told them to call Toronto and Vancouver because I know they're an expansion team and there would be, you know, plenty of opportunity. You know, between the two, I'll have a chance to reestablish my my career. And Vancouver, you know, they they had something going on and and my agent didn't like it, but he kept talking to Isaiah Thomas. I told him, I told him specifically, you know, to call Isaiah Thomas because we had, you know, we had a relationship. He was like my big bro. So, um, agents are greedy. So they they keep trying to go get money, not only for the client, but for themselves. And the Raptors and the Grizzlies were working on a half a salary cap because of the rules in the league um, during that time. They didn't want expansion teams to grow fast like Miami, Orlando, and Charlotte did. So... You know, it's unfair to the Milwaukee's of the world. You know, Milwaukee's doing great today, but it's unfair to them. So the Raptors were working. Raptors and Grizzlies were working on a half a salary cap. That means they acquired the salaries of the guys that were picked up from the expansion draft, and everybody else they get from that point is going to get minimum 250 And up there in Toronto or in Canada – 250 is not very much. You know, once the taxes hit you and all of that, it's not very much. And, you know, I, I was my my last uh contract, that was the end of my rookie contract during that time. This was my fourth year. And the, my rookie contract was was right around the million dollar mark. So to make that sacrifice, I thought it was worth it to reestablish my career. Um but Isaiah kept telling um, my agent, there's no money. So my agent wanted me to continue to sit out. I said, look, give me Isaiah's number. So I called Isaiah and heard it from him myself. He's like, T, we have no money. We have shots, opportunity, and minutes, if that's what you're looking for. I said, yes, I don't want to go overseas because if I go overseas, I won't come back. During that time, no one came back from overseas. So... I chose to come to Toronto for the opportunity and to reestablish my my uh, career and, and get a new start. And Isaiah provided that opportunity for me. Yeah. So, what did you know about the city of Toronto prior to coming here? Well, I've been to Toronto before because I was with USA Basketball, uh, the Pan American team in 1991, and we came up and played two friendlies up in Toronto. Um, against the Canadian national team. 
So I, I I was definitely familiar with walking up and down Young Street and through the mall and stuff like that. I we didn't do the touristy stuff, but you know we we had practices and then in our free time we were walking around the city. Noticed that the city was really clean, that people were really nice, and uh, it was it looked like it was a good city. It was definitely a major city, and, and uh, had everything that that a big city has you know that that you would see in the states yeah and so you so you come here and it's literally a brand new team like yes all the guys are being pulled together for the first time what do you remember about maybe the first day of training camp or whatever it was when brendan malone addressed you guys what did he say in terms I, of setting I, goals i came for in season? late i came in late okay. training camp was already going on when i joined i joined on like a Thursday and the game was like on a Saturday. It was like two days, two or three days before the first game is when I got to training camp. I got there late. I was at home stressing over no deals, no calls being called for me. Everybody else is in training camp and I'm at home working my tail off by myself. So that's the stress that I was under. And so I didn't get the normal, you know, first day of training camp, everybody had the the dinner and the physicals and all of that. I didn't get all of that. Um, I had the one-on-one talk with Isaiah over the phone. Then I, I told him to send me a plane ticket. I jumped on the plane and joined. I came in. I did a, a quick physical, and then I um, I joined the team in their first practice. There wasn't much talking going on. <laughs> Just went out there and played? Yep. Just went out there. Um, there were there were a few guys I knew, of course, uh, Jean Tabac. He, you know, we were teammates just what three months earlier. Um, there were guys like John Sally that I played against, and uh, Willie Anderson I played against, and Tony Massenberg. And you know, the veterans they had on the team at that time, Ed Pinkney. I played against those guys. They knew what I can bring to the table. Uh, I played against Damon in college, so I knew Damon very well. Uh, when he went to Arizona. So I knew they had a great point guard. I, I knew that they had really good veterans. And then I knew that um, at the end of the day, um, everybody had something to prove. They needed a second chance. And, and every, when, whenever you need a second chance, you're going to put your best foot forward and you're going to play with a lot of energy, especially with the veterans that was on that team leading. Yeah, it felt like, for an expansion team, you guys played with a real chip on your shoulder, just a mix yeah. of young and veteran guys yep. who like maybe didn't get as much minutes or as much opportunity elsewhere, and and it showed. Yeah, I mean, as I say again, we needed a second chance. Um, even the moves that were made during mid-year um, where you know, Isaiah felt like moving forward into the future, we had good veteran players that there are great pieces on other people's teams. And we use those uh, those pieces to get us young talent like Doug Christie and Sharon Wright. And we needed to get younger during that time. So um, we also, we also um, kept a few veterans as well to continue to lead us, like Alvin Robertson. He was nicknamed the Raptor because of how hard he played in – this is the way moving forward into the future that Raptors 
should play like. He was 36 years old at the time, fresh off of a back surgery, missed the last two years because of his back surgery, but he comes out there and and works harder than anybody out there. So as a young player, you either have pride and you say, I'm not going to let this older guy that just come off of a back surgery outwork me, and, and, and you step your level up too, which most of us did, you know, or you're going you're gonna to let him, you know, take your place. And, and Alvin was a, he was a star, you know, he, he was a, a, the first quadruple double in the NBA. He was, a, he was an established veteran, an established star in the league. So we had an example to follow on how to play. And that was big for guys like Damon, myself, Tabak, Oliver Miller, then you get Doug Christie and Sharon Wright. That was huge to have that basketball player, that man, the way he approached the game and the way he played the game as an example for us on how to play. Yeah, I think a lot of younger fans who might have not watched that team or watched when they were very young don't remember much and, and don't remember how good Damon was coming into the league. Because oh, back man. then it was hard for rookies to come in and actually make an impact right away, and that's what he did. He was a rookie of the year. I mean, anybody – I challenge kids nowadays, look and do your research. Look and, 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 and you know – don't just look at how the Raptors are today. Go into the history of the Raptors and see how they were established. See who was on the team. See how they played. There's video out there, archives out there if you want to see it. Damon was the first pick of the Raptors. He was the rookie of the year, averaging 19-9. and nine. You know, the Mighty Mouse commercials, he was the first major star in Raptor history. You know, so it's it's something, you know, a lot of these kids don't go back in the past and do their research anymore. When we were kids, we were taught to do our research and know the people that paved the way for you. And I think the kids are dropping the ball on that nowadays. And there are kids in the league that don't even know who half of the people are around them at All-Star Weekend. And I think that's that's just a travesty. It really is. Yeah, people forget, too, that the draft was at the Sky Dome. And when Damon's yeah. name was called, he was booed because he was booed I think home crowd wanted because Ed O'Bannon. Because they wanted Ed O'Bannon, right. right. Yeah. And, when, you know, rightfully yeah. so. Ed O'Bannon was the, the, the national player of the year at the time. He come from UCLA. And UCLA is not just a national brand. It's a world brand. Everybody knows who UCLA is. So that, you know kind of upset the fans, but they didn't know what they were getting. And Isaiah, who is extremely smart and have a high basketball IQ, and he understands how to put together a team and what you need. What are the first important pieces to a team that you need? Number one is a point guard. Number two is a big man. And then you can fill in around those, those two. Yeah, so I want to walk you through some of the moments from the first season. And we can start with the first game at Skydome against yeah. the New Jersey Nets. First of all, what was it like playing in a baseball stadium? Well, we've played in, in domes before. I mean, mm -hmm. the Atlanta Hawks were getting, you know, they tore down the old Omni. 
and they needed somewhere to play. So they played in the Georgia Dome. So we played in that. Uh, Seattle was redoing Key Arena. And so we played in the Tacoma Dome. So we played in domes before. So it wasn't a big deal. Of course, you know, playing-wise, depth perception-wise with the basket, it made a a little bit of a difference. And and it gave us a home court advantage, if you ask me. Um, That's the adjustment when you're playing in, in, in domes or football stadiums or stuff like that is the depth perception. Because sometimes that basket looked like it's a mile away from the three point line. What do you remember about that first game? I remember the energy from the fans. The, you know, this is the first time, you know, in Sky Dome that they're having an NBA game that is their team. So, you know, the energy was was definitely in the building. You know how the energy is in in the in the building right now. That energy was there day one. It's the only difference between now and day one is they know how to cheer for their team now. And at the beginning, we had to teach them how to cheer for us. Um, yeah, there are tell them about the free throw. Done. Tell them about the free throw story. Right, yeah, the, like game management didn't know how to teach the fans how to cheer for us. So the free throws, the, the infamous free throw story I always tell. Um, I go to the free throw line, and they have the little poppers or little balloons behind the basket, uh, and I, I'm the home team shooting in the Sky Dome, which is our home court. And as soon as I look at the basket to go shoot, they're waving those things behind the basket, and I just start laughing. And I'm and I'm laughing while shooting free throws. And the first question I'm asked in the locker room after the game wasn't great game, good win, or any of that. It was. You know, why were you laughing at the free throw line? Well, okay, education number one. You know, and I, I say I have a feeling we're going to have to do this uh, throughout the season, and and I'll be glad to help. Um, when we're at the free throw line and we're the home team, you don't wave those things behind the basket. You're supposed to do that for the opposing team. So that the media was laughing about that and. You know, it's a, it's a great story of, of how far not only the fans have come, but how far we've all come in, as an organization, as a whole in Toronto, up until this point to the finals now. Yeah, it's remarkable to me, too. Just looking back, you know, the public address announcer, Herbie Kuhn, yes. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, all of these people have been there since day one. Yes. I talked I talked to Herbie yet, uh, yesterday and, and told him and the Raptor, both of them, enjoy this moment that is special. The only people in, in Raptor history that has experienced this um, that I know of, and I'm sure there's probably more that may have left, um, and the only current ones is, is Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. Um, in the past, it was me and Tabak, and, of course, Isaiah Thomas that I know of that has – has won. Now, there's probably more that's gone through and won championships since day one, but that's the ones right offhand that I can remember um, that, that has experienced this time. You know, and, and you know, guys that, that are in the original times that worked there, they never experienced this. You know, so the, the people that are there that were originals, that were there from day one that's experiencing this right now, I told them, enjoy the moment. There's nothing like it. Um, they deserve it because they were there from day one. 
Yeah, I'm really happy too for a lot of arena staffers, security yeah. people, th- people right. have been there for decades and they've been there through the lean years when they didn't make the playoffs for five, six years. And just seeing the joy on their face when I walk into the arena is, is, is right. great. Like they're the soaking it all in. Is in the air, man. The electricity is there. Yeah. And, you know, you're giving, you're giving the town, the city deserves it. You know, give them something to be proud of, man. Uh, the last time, when was the last time they had anybody in the finals? Was it? 1993, the, the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays, right. Yeah. yeah. The Blue it's Jays won almost, it right before we got up there. It's been almost so, 30 years. Yeah, Joe Carter. So when, when, when you have this type of situation, the city is on fire right now. I can imagine uh, how, what, what that city is doing right now. They support their teams to the, to the highest. Yeah. So after that first game and after educating the fans, you know, when I think back about that season, I remember a lot of random fun moments. One, one I remember was AC Earl, I think, scoring 40 points in Boston. Yes. Um, do you have any other games that kind of stand out to you? We're obviously going to talk about the beating the 72-win Bulls, but outside of that, what, what else do you kind of remember? From that first well, season. well, that that, that AC one is funny because I scored forty against Denver and I had the the scoring record there, and <laughs> and AC was going crazy against his old team, the Boston Celtics, and AC had forty with a lot of time left, and he ran out of gas because <laughs> AC hadn't played a lot. Now, it doesn't mean that he can't play. It doesn't mean that he's not talented. It doesn't mean that he can't score. It's just that we had people in place that they wanted to play in front of him. So when guys start going down, now Ace is next man up. And when you're, you know, towards the end of the bench, you don't have the stamina or you're not in shape like the guys that are logging big minutes every night so ace gets going man and 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 he's on fire and he's absolutely destroying the celtics and i knew it was personal we all like going hard on our old teams and he got the 40 and ran out of gas couldn't even get up and down the court man we were laughing so hard on the sideline he had a chance to get 50 and and ran out of gas with a couple couple minutes left at 40 so we 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 were we were cracking up and but uh it it was it was really a fun moment to watch Ace uh really heat up on people because we knew you know just practice practicing with him every day we know that he can score and for him to get that opportunity to do that it was it was wonderful Yeah it must have been fun that season cuz you guys are probably you guys are just setting franchise records left and right cuz there's no record book No record right right no record book so yeah I mean <laughs> For people who didn't know, Tracy Murray and A.C. Earl were, had the highest scores in Raptor history at one point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's amazing. I always wanted to ask you, too, John Sally seems like a big personality. Was he Was oh, he, he was the funnest character. guy? Was he the funnest guy in, in that locker room? Sal was a character. He's definitely, he's, he's 100% New York City. Definitely. Anything you expect a New York City guy to be, he's 1,000% that. Um, one thing about Sal, he, he made the year fun on the court and off the court. Well, you got a guy that has won championships, who knows how to play, knows what he brings to the table, knows how to help younger guys. 
uh, he was a big help to me. I mean, he set a, he set tons of screens for me and always told me to come off, set my man up, come off, I got you, come off my side, you're going to be open. So, you know, when you have a veteran tell you that and, and you have confidence uh, in that veteran and you, you, you listen to what he's saying and then you continue to, to do what he tells you to do. And he helped out a lot of people, like the high pick and rolls with Damon. Damon, come off my side, I got you. Damon would come off wide open, knocking down jump shots and threes and stuff. So um, to have Sal help lead on the court and then off the court, the famous John Sally parties he used to who he used to throw that, you know, we were like family anyway because we were all in another country. We didn't most of us weren't married. Um we all hung with each other. And everywhere I don't care if we went to dinner, we all went to dinner together. We went to lunch, we went to lunch together. We went out, we all went out together. So he would throw parties. And we would all show up to his parties, and they were good parties. And, you know, that, that also helped bring the city together with the Raptors, you know, without even thinking about it. You know, it was it was really a fun time. Do you remember the party spots you would frequent or where he would throw those parties? Oh, he would throw parties at Atlantis, Studio 69. Uh, um, there were a couple places, that Fluid. There was a lot of places he would he would throw stuff at the government, Phoenix. He he would have stuff all over the place. So he owned the city, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, you just make a deal with the the owner. It's like, hey, I want to throw a party here. You know, hey, you know the Raptors are going to be there. So we we all had he threw one party. I'll never forget. It was a New Year's party. I was out at some club. I don't remember where it was, but it was out by the. It was it, the the lake was frozen over, and it was so cold that night. But the party was crazy, and everybody had a good time. Um, but then you come outside, and it's time to go back home. And somebody parked their car on the ice, and the <laughs> and, and the car ended up going into the going into the ice and and going into the water. I don't know who did that. But Calif- that, that was that was definitely one of the things that happened at one of John's parties. You're you're a California kid. What was it like in the Toronto winter for years? Oh man, it was cold. Um, but when you're having fun and you're doing what you love to do, the weather doesn't matter. Um, I was in a fun city with a fun team and doing fun things and playing the game that I love to do, love to play. And I'm reestablishing my my career. I'm having my best career, best year in my career. There was that was a situation I never wanted to leave. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, so, did you find too that a lot of visiting players, maybe discovering Toronto for the first time, found it to be a really good city to hang out to party as well? Oh, of course. I mean, Toronto's top five in the league when it comes to stops and, 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 and road trips. And, you know, they're circling that that uh, that trip. So it's a huge home court advantage for the Raptors if they're, you know, doing what they're supposed to do and getting their rest. You know, it's a huge advantage because guys come to Toronto and they go out. 
You go out in Toronto just like you go out in Miami, just like you go out in L.A., just like you go out in New York. So those teams have a huge advantage because of the nightlife, and guys don't want to stay in the hotel. So if if guys are doing what they're supposed to do in those cities, and this includes Toronto, and they're getting their rest and they're ready to play and they're focused, they, they should do extremely well at home. Yeah, and you've told me this before, I believe, but the Bulls were partying the night before they played here. Oh, right? yes. Yes, they were. We, we, yeah. Thank you, John Sally, for throwing another famous party. Um, yeah, and I think Sal was on the team during that time, but he still threw a party that night. And um, we went out for a second, and all of us, we, you know, the Raptors, we just slowly started disappearing out of that party early. And we made sure everybody stayed in there and kept the Bulls entertained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't go to sleep. They hardly didn't go to sleep that night. I heard they were up till like 6 in the morning. Can you tell, like, on an NBA court when a guy's been partying and maybe not? Oh, of course, yeah. We, we, we were, and Ron Harper tells this story all the time. Every, every time I'm at a golf tournament with him, he tells this story, and we laugh about it all the time. So we're warming up during the game. You know how you come out early and you shoot around and, and, and you're trying to find your shot? And, and this is not the regular warm-ups when we're going through layup lines. This is early warm-ups. When you're out there, you're getting loose, you, 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 you know, you're getting ready, you're getting locked in. We had both courts because the Bulls refused to come out and warm up. They were all hung over. They were all messed up. They were all laying on the floor in the locker room trying to get it together. So Phil Phil knew they were in trouble that night. I mean, it's it's already bad enough that I thought we matched up pretty good with, with, with the Bulls. Um, we always played them tough. We were on the cusp of beating them a couple of times, and it came down to a couple of, you know, veteran plays. Guys, when you know how to win, you know how to win. That the Bulls, that's how they won championships. They know how to win. But we were close a few times. So that magical night was definitely off of that party. Yeah, so Steve Kerr, I think, misses a game-winning attempt at the buzzer. And the buzzer sounds, and Mike actually hits a shot, but it's after the buzzer. Right. And what's what's that like? I mean, for an expansion team, that's like a championship. Yes, it was huge. It was one of the marquee wins in Raptor history and one of the most important wins in Raptor history. We could have easily been like Vancouver. They had no marquee wins, nothing important to keep them in Vancouver, nothing important to grab those Vancouver fans and say, this is our team and we're supporting them. We had a couple of those wins. We had the 72-10 and 10 Bulls which they should have easily been 73-9. and nine. There's no way an expansion team is supposed to beat a team at that stature. I, th- I think they're the greatest team ever. Everybody's debating on these Warrior teams. That's the greatest team ever, that 72-10 and 10 Bulls team. Um, but to beat them that year as an expansion team, that immediately grabs the city at 36, 36, 36 to 38,000 people in that building that night. 
that grabs the city. That makes the city go crazy. That makes you support your team when you have signature wins like that in your inaugural season. Shaq and Penny, the Orlando Magic game, we beat them too. They just came from the finals against the, the Rockets with me and Tabak. So when you win those type of games, now it draws in a major interest in the city. And it also helps, you know, all of the, the leg work that everybody has, has done to spread awareness and to sell the game of basketball on the eastern half of, of Canada. I thought they did an excellent job and had great game plans on what to do. We had to take care of our business on the court, but as long as we were doing that on the court, we also had to take care of our business off the court. We had tons of appearances from Barrie to Niagara Falls up to Montreal. The preseason games were all up and down Eastern Canada. It's like they did an excellent job of selling the game of basketball to the to the people in Canada, especially the eastern half for the Raptors. Yeah, and you know, in game one of the finals last week, during a timeout, the Raptors honored a lot of the alumni, including Isaiah Thomas, right. Damon Stoudemire, and you know, it's just speaking to every player that's been with the organization, it does feel like even yourself from so many years ago, you know, laying down the foundation, you know, making these appearances, educating the fans about right. whether to cheer or not for free throws and beating right. the Bulls. Do you feel like you're a part of the journey as well? Of course. Um, I, I think they're, they missed out on a few people that they should have had on the floor. You know, they should have had Doug Christie out there. They should have had me out there. They should have had Oliver Miller out there. You know, they should have had Alvin Robertson out there. Without those guys at the beginning, it doesn't get to Vince Carter. They they didn't have Vince out there either. That's that's a huge miss. You know, you got to have a Vince Carter out there during that time. But if you don't have, you got to have Marcus Camby out there. If you don't have that first year, you don't have the rest of those guys that are out there. As Vancouver. Yeah. As Vancouver. Yeah. You know, so I'm true. just being real right now. I'm being honest. I think they should have had the original team, the inaugural team out there. And then maybe another night bring the rest of those guys, you know, because those guys are huge in Raptor history too. I end up playing with those guys later on that were out there. But we keep forgetting about day one. And there's been a lot of interviews and interview requests and all of that for all of us day oneers, ever since the Raptors have gotten to the finals, but how come we are not at a game being honored? That should happen. That should have happened game one. And without that team, there's no this team. Just to be straight up. Yeah, there's one other player I wanted to ask you about from that team who. You know, I was a huge fan of when I was watching. It was Carlos Rogers? Yes, he's a huge part of our team. Huge part of our team. I mean, you're talking about somebody six eleven. He's one of the first. I say Clifford Robinson was one. Of, he he was the first 
six eleven three man, but Carlos came right up right behind him as a six eleven small forward. You know, can shoot a nice little mid range shot, put the ball on the deck, can defend the position, long and athletic. Uh, he was huge in our success, huge. I feel like he would play really well in the modern day NBA too. His style. Oh, of course, yeah. of course. He he would play he he would play well uh, in in this no no touching era. He played well in the athletic era that was right before the no touching era, and you saw that he was kind of effective in our era as well. I mean he he was he was the beginning of the long athletic three man. You know the six ten six eleven seven foot three man. You know he was the beginning of Durant. Not he didn't have the same skill set as Durant, but he was the beginning of Durant. He was he was following Clifford Robinson's footsteps. So the first season, you know, by all accounts for an expansion team was uh, a success. And, yes. you know, you, you end up going to Washington, signing a long-term deal there. You right. mentioned earlier on the podcast that, you know, that was Toronto was a situation you never wanted to leave. So let, <clears> let no, the listeners know, not. let the listeners know how that summer, the free agency played out for you. It was, it was a bittersweet for me, you know, I I kept in touch with Isaiah throughout the whole process. Um, Letting him know what was on the table from different teams. There was a deal on the table with the Lakers, and there was a deal on the table. The same deal was on the table with Washington. And I was letting Isaiah know the whole time, the whole time what was going on. And, And he kept telling me, you know, there's nothing that we can do. Our hands are tied. We we can't. You would have to stay here another year at minimum, and the year after, you know, we can take care of you. Now, if I had done that, Isaiah wasn't around. They had already gotten rid of Isaiah Thomas. So one thing he did tell me once I told him the last deal from the from the uh, Washington Bullets, he said, "T." Take the money and go go support your family," he said. You, I know you love us. I know I know you want to be here, but you got to take the contract and you got to run. And that was, I literally cried. I had tears coming down my face because I am leaving my brothers. I am leaving my big bro Isaiah that's telling me to take the deal. I'm leaving a city that supported me. I'm leaving an organization that let me do my thing for the first time in the NBA, the only organization that let me play free. Um, I'm leaving a great situation to secure my family. And it was definitely a bittersweet moment. I'll never forget, I was in Toronto at the time when I had to accept the deal. I had a birthday party. I had to step outside of my birthday party to say yes and I didn't go back in my birthday party for about 15 minutes because I had to regain my composure because I was I was sad so yeah no you, you had a was, real attachment to that the team. was yeah it was yeah it was during caravan weekend and I, I they had thrown a birthday party for me to come back up and and experience caravan and have a birthday party and and uh, that was, it was a fun time, but it was 
one of the saddest times uh, for me. It was. Yeah. So, you know, I actually just wrote a story about how the purple raptors dinosaur jerseys are very popular now among flying off the kids. shelves. They're, they're off trying, the shelves. There's, there's been people calling me requesting, you know, if I had any. I'm like, you guys are going to have to discuss that with the Raptors because they only have McGrady, Stoudemire, and Carter jerseys in those. So, you know, they're going to have to, you know, I went up, I was in Toronto in March, late March. And I had my girls up there, my daughters and my wife. And I went into the store to try to get, you know, the old old Raptor jersey with the dinosaurs, see if they had any any ones for kids that I can put 35 Murray on for my girls. And they didn't, you couldn't, they only made those jerseys in the McGrady, Stoudemire, and Carter. And they didn't have any blank jerseys to do anybody else's, which I I just thought that that was, you know, that was wrong. You should be able to come in there, pay your money, and get anybody's jersey made if you want to. And I think they dropped the ball with that. And I was going to pay for it, and there were my jerseys. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I think they need to get with it because that's that's definitely popular, that purple jersey with the dinosaur on it. I think it's extremely popular and you should leave it open for whoever they want even if you want to put a Kawhi Leonard jersey in that purple dinosaur jersey they should be open to do it I think they should release re-release every player from that expansion team I think so too I mean it's it's important it's important you keep that team alive because we were the beginning of where this is now it's very important but, you know, people are always quick to put dust on the past. It's not right, man. Yeah. So you've been watching the NBA Finals, I assume? Of course. I'm very interested in what's going on. And I thought the Raptors had a huge opportunity game, too, that they let, you know, get away. You don't come out of the locker room with with that type of effort. You know, you let them go on an 18-0 run right out of the locker room when you're up five. And then being up five, it just seemed like they were up 10 because neither team can really get going. So it was a huge opportunity missed. Home court advantage now goes to Golden State. And I always said the series doesn't get started until the opposing team, the, the road team, gets a win. Now the, now the series is on now. So the Raptors have to – Game three, they got to be concentrated on getting home court back. Yeah, I think it'll be tough, but I think they're capable of getting one in Oracle. It's, it's, it's going to be tough, but I don't particularly think Golden State has been playing great at home this year. They've been booed at home at times this year. This is an opportunity. Now it's, it's different. It's the finals. They're going to be more locked in, but they also beat up. This is a perfect opportunity to go in there and steal a game. You got It can't be the Milwaukee game one situation where you up the whole game and then they come steal it at the end. You got to be up and you got to finish them. You got to finish champions. You can't let them hang around. You got to finish them. Yeah. If, That's if there's the one only thing that, way to dethrone a champion. You got to finish them. Yep. Yep. If there's one thing that I'm positive 
that are remaining positive about is that throughout the playoffs, the Raptors have shown that they're they're able to adjust and they get better as the series goes on. I know this is the toughest opponent. He's great at making adjustments. Yeah, in-game adjustments, between-game adjustments. It's been exactly, I think, what they needed in a head coach in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So what's your your prediction? Because he he coached overseas. Now, I played overseas, so I saw different tactics over there that wasn't being used over here. So he's using those tactics, and it's throwing teams off. It threw Milwaukee off. It threw Philly off. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's giving Golden State a little bit of a trouble, you know. So let's see what, you know, he's, what bag, what he pulls out of the bag this game, you know, because he's going to make adjustments. He's going to watch tape, and, and, and I'm always interested to see what adjustments he makes. Yeah, so through two games, what's your, what's your prediction for this series? Now, I'm going to tell you what my prediction was at the beginning before these two games. My prediction at the beginning because you know, you can, what did Rudy T say in our championship? Never, Never underestimate, underestimate the heart, the heart of, the of a champion, champion right? Yeah. And you got to understand what's at stake for Golden State. This is the beginning of the end for Golden State. So if you go out, you want to go out on top. They're putting their best foot forward to try to finish this thing. So I said Golden State in six. That's what I said. Now, after the way the Raptors controlled game one and defended game one, another thing, their offense was on fire too. And I saw dead legs from the Warriors, and that was because they were off for nine days. So I did – I saw that, and I was like, hmm, this might be a little different. And then I saw the first half of the the game too. I said, shoot, the Raptors have a huge opportunity to win this series. So right now, I don't know what's going to happen. You know what my original was. I don't know what's going to happen now because of of the way the Raptors have come out and, and how well they match up. Um, the adjustments Nick Nurse makes. Um, this might be a seven-gamer. It might be six or seven games. And it's a toss-up because these, these teams are evenly matched. And you have, you know, guys that are, are have been hurt on each team. You have some guys coming back like OG. He can he can be thrown into the mix and, and, and be a good corner three-point shooter and a, and a long defender that they need. You never know when he's going to – and then they used Patrick McCall game one. They didn't use him game two, but they used him game one. I mean, he's an insider when it comes to, you know, he's been inside that Warrior locker room. He can tell you things. So uh, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting series. It really is. Yeah, I think we've got a fun – an unpredictable NBA Finals for the first time in a few years. So, yes, and yes. we'll see what happens when KD time, if, if KD comes back. I'm not, <laughs> the first time I'm not absolutely saying the Warriors are going to win, hands down. Yeah. And I said yeah. that with LeBron teams because no one person can beat, you know, a, a, a great team. Now you saw two great players beat them one year, but not one great player. And 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 that's what you what you have right now with this situation too. You have one great player in Kawhi, but you have a bunch of other players that can play their roles a lot better. Like, 
if Siakam can be a consistent 20 to 25 point scorer, he can help Hawaii. If Danny Green can be a consistent 9 to 10 point scorer and knock down his threes, that can help Kawhi. If Kyle Lowry can be a consistent 10 to 15 points and get his assists, because people expect more out of K. Lau. But my thing is, he's a point guard, and this is what people don't understand. Point guards are supposed to distribute and set the plate for everybody else and, and put yourself second. And so where people expected more out of K. Lau, I'm like, he's doing what he's supposed to do, and he's taking criticism that he shouldn't take, especially in the past and earlier this season. He was taking criticism that he shouldn't have taken because he is a point guard. He, he puts himself second. That's what point guards do. Now, there are going to be some games where, where he's going to explode. But at the same time, when he explodes – does Kawhi touch the ball? Does Danny Green touch the ball? Does Norman Powell touch the ball? Does Siakam touch the ball? Does Serge touch the ball? Does Mark Gasol touch the ball? Not when the point guard is cooking. The point guard is supposed to get all of those people off and put himself second. So he's doing what he's supposed to do. Mark yeah, Gasol's no. got to get double figures a game, too. It's got to be like the first game, five players in double figures to the Warriors, too. That's how you're going to beat them. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Oakland. All right, we've got to run. Tracy, I um, really appreciate you taking the time, and we will start the movement to get some Tracy Murray jerseys in, in stores here in Toronto. Well, original Raptor jerseys. You know, everybody deserves to have their jersey out there from that first year. For sure. Okay, Tracy, always great catching up. We'll talk soon, okay? All right, thank you. Take care. Okay, see ya.